Greetings, in Jesus' name. Thank you for the opening message, Neil. It's a message that we actually need to hear again and again. We are. There's a commitment that is made, like we heard during the testimony time. But we don't seem to get the whole load at one time. <laughs> we need to be reminded. And so, thank you. Thank you for the testimony. Thank you for you girls being brave. Appreciate it. <clears throat> so, yesterday I was studying... And I put quite a few hours in into a message, and it finally just didn't come out. That doesn't mean I don't have a message today, but it's not the message I was planning to. So uh, that may not be the time. Maybe I wasn't in the right state of mind. Maybe God didn't want to preach, but anyhow, I won't be having that message. So then I reached back into a message that I had some years ago. And that is a message that I need to hear again and again also. <laughs> so that's what we'll be doing. But before, can we, now we'll, we'll wait. We'll, we'll pray at there at the end there. We'll just kneel for prayer. But I'm going to be, the topic this morning is a message that I had actually, so you do my math, seven and a half years ago. So most of you don't remember it. If you do, and you've been applying it well, then just just praise the Lord, and you're 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 good. <laughs> if you remembered, and you maybe need a reminder, then that then it's for you, and it's for us. So it's the title of the message is grace grace to the humble, or as they say in the South, the humble. The rest of us we say humble. So whichever way you want to say that. Proverbs 16:18 is the very common verse that we all know. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs is only a proverb. It is a tendency. It's a general rule of life. It is generally applicable <laughs> that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So, the question is, what has gotten into mankind that he so wants to lift himself up, to be high, to look down on others, to be first, to be best, to be different, to be unique, to be recognized? Spurgeon said that pride is woven into the very warp and whoop of our character. He should know England at his time, England was home to 260,000 power looms. Like I said a few weeks ago, England was the center of the power loom industry. 
And so you have cloths, you have threads coming downward, and then you have threads going the other way. And I don't know, I don't ever saw a loom and work how that actually works, where you get the thread through. But you you get the threads coming down, and you get threads going the other, and you can put different kinds of threads in there. Well, woven into our character is these threads of pride. And they're woven in. They're part of us. There are, they're in us, in a sense, well, you can actually, I guess you can probably take a thread and pull it out. I don't know. I guess it could. I guess that's what God, God does. Pride is woven into the very warp and whoop of our character. It was Nebuchadnezzar that said, is this not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. This is my kingdom. Or we could say this is my business. Or this is my home. Or this is whatever you want to put there. My family. It's the Pharisee that said, praying, he's praying. He said, I thank thee, Lord, that I'm not like other men. They looked at the performance of their own life in contrast to others and felt very good about themselves. Like the Jews in Isaiah's day, stand by thyself, come not near me, because I am holier than thou. They actually believed that. Religious pride, and I say, which one of us can plead innocent? It was Jesus' own very disciples very own disciples that wanted to be first in Jesus' kingdom. And they were asking to be on either side of him. And this is the drive. This is the drive to control and to manage other people from a position of authority. Even in Christian ministry, that's what it was. Putting a Christian name on something does not make it operate in a Christian way. And then the early church exhibited pride. And that was Laodicea that said, I am rich and I am increased with goods and I have need of nothing. And if you look at it, they were basically boasting in a, in a similar way that Nebuchadnezzar was. That heathen king and that early church, which we... In many ways, not just idolized, but we, we look up to the early church. They were the closest. But the, there was an early church with the same kind of problem that Nebuchadnezzar had. <clears throat> Peter was proud when he said, and you can turn here to Matthew 26. We looked at this recently in the family devotion time we just read these these verses. Peter was proud when he said, though everyone else denied you, I won't. And let's read there, Matthew 26, starting at verse 31. Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, 
and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you to Galilee. So Jesus told them, you're going to be offended. Basically, he told them that word offended is the word scandalized. It actually means like a a trap or something. Jesus is telling them, you're actually going to fall into a trap tonight. They will, you will trip, you will go to a trap, you won't see it, it will trip you up, it will catch you, and the result is you're going to actually run away from me. You're going to desert me. Now what, what would have been the proper response to that? Do you ever think of that? If Jesus tells you that you're actually going to do something bad, and, 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 and I had a, how to get wrap my mind around this a little bit? Okay, so there is you. It is what you uh, in this case for the disciples. <laughs> Let's imagine it be for you. Something is prophesied about them, and they are going to do it. Or did they have any free will anymore? It's <laughs> a good question. If something is prophesied about you, and you know it ahead of time, do you have a free will anymore? Well, we don't have to answer that question. But I want to ask the question, what would have been the proper response? Tonight, you are going to be, you're all going to be offended and you're going to desert me. Because the scripture says this is going to happen. What would have been the proper response? Well, Jesus said, I don't think they actually had a choice. This was going to happen. It was prophesied. But Jesus gave them that comfort. He said, but I'm going to, after this happened, after I'm risen from the dead, I'm going to gather you up again. You're going to be scattered, but I'm going to gather you up again. Okay, so he gave them the picture. You are going to be scattered, but it's all going to be all right because I'm going to bring you back together again. So the right response would have been, okay, Jesus. I don't like it. It. It's not going to be pleasant, but if this is what is going to happen, then I accept that. That would have been a right response. Instead, Peter and all the others actually had the exactly wrong response. It seemed right to them. In fact, it seemed like it was the right thing to do. Oh, no, we won't do that. But it was a proud response. It was a wrong response. It was a proud response. And I'm going to read this here. Peter answered and said unto them, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. Likewise, also said all the disciples. So that was the wrong response. And he fell flat. It was going to be hard any way you do it. To to go through this was hard for Jesus. To go through this was hard for the disciples. But the proud response made it harder for Peter. Just think about it. That bitter weeping that Peter had was because of that proud response. Had he had a humble response, 
he would have avoided that part of the trial. And I'm just bringing that out because many of our troubles come from our pride. We face troubles in life that we wouldn't have if we would have an humble heart. Peter is an example for us in that way. That famous preacher, Harry Ironside, was convicted one time of his lack of humility. And by this time, he was a well-known preacher and teacher. He's known citywide, I think in Chicago, I think is where he was. And he was a, he was a famous man, but he, I, I'm not an humble person, so he, to, to work some humility in his heart, he put on those sandwich signs where you put a, a board on the front and a board on the back, and it has some scripture verses on, and he walked around the city with this thing. He said, everybody knew him. This is the man, and he had this, you know, very, despicable way of in public. So he's going to bring himself down. And after he got back and he took the thing off and he got into his place, I bet nobody else would ever do that. <laughs> How it's so warped in there. <sighs> Question for you and for me. Are you a proud person? And I a proud person. And does it matter? Well, it does matter, and this is the text for this, this morning. The main text is in First Peter chapter 5, and you can turn there, First 5, and uh, chapter, chapter 5, verses 5 to 7. Very familiar verses, but it's, it, it has this key in it. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Ye, all of you, be subject one to another. And be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, the Bible says that God hates divorce, and we are quite emphatic about hating what God hates. We will not tolerate the abuse of the marriage bond. But God also hates pride. And Proverbs 6, these six, six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And the first one is a proud look. Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Now, what is evil? Pride and arrogancy. And the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. So God resisteth the proud. He opposes the proud. And the Bible says that the devil lifted himself up in pride. God resisted him and threw him out of heaven. And to this day, God is resisting the devil. The devil cannot overcome God. God is resisting him. <clears throat> Some 30 years ago, we were part of a cell group with Luke Eby eating out, Luke Eby leading out. One night, the topic was about utopia. And you know what utopia is. Utopia is the world where everything is right. It's just right. 
Well, in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve sinned, um, he threw them out of the garden, and there was still that tree of life there. And God then put angels, and he guarded that tree of life. There's no access to that tree because God is going to guard it. He's going to resist anyone that comes there. But ever since they've been out of the garden, man has been looking for utopia. <laughs> and he's not able to get it because it's not available except on God's terms. On God's terms, utopia will be available, is available, and will be. So when God resists the proud, he is successful because no one can successfully overcome God's resistance. So I went, I went into um, a military base, a military prison actually, I think. There was a military prison that I went to once. Or it was a base, I forget which one it was. But I went to there with my delivery with my truck and there were two narrow lanes on the right side of this guard shack going in and there was a sign that said um, personnel right lane deliveries left lane okay and I my comprehension isn't always that great and I looked at that left lane on the right and that's a narrow lane I wasn't even sure I could get through there so I said well left means left lane <laughs> okay it left of the guard shack so I come in here and I come up through here <laughs> and there's a guy comes running out. I don't know. I didn't see any guns at that point, but he stopped me and he could have stopped me if I wouldn't have stopped because this was the base. So it's not too long before there were five or six uh, individuals that actually were planning in uh, some kind of a ambush or some kind of a they were planning to actually do some damage to this this very facility <laughs> and they were discovered before they got it done so they were on alert but whether they're on alert or not in other words i would have been resisted and i wouldn't have been successful so so just to give you an example if i couldn't resist the military base how successful are we giving going to be if we are resisted by God. God resists the proud. And I want that to go deep in our hearts. God will resist me if I am proud, if I'm arrogant, if I think myself in certain ways. God is going to resist me. But the contrast is that God will give grace to the humble. And the opposite of resist is give. You resist something or you give something. <clears throat> In the way that God is able to successfully resist, he is able to successfully give. And he gives grace. Now, how do you describe grace? I, I mean, there's, there's grace is such a big subject. You can, we could have messages and messages of grace. So I'm going to, Narrow down, I'm going to describe it in two ways. It's God's favor and it's God's gifts. That's grace. Both of them are grace, but I, I divided them in two ways so we can see them a little bit. And what is God's favor? Well, his favor is his smile on you. It's his, when he delights in you, 
It's when he's pleased to be near you, uh, his acceptance of you. That's God's grace. Um, it's, it's, um, it's, he gives it to you. He's delighted. He smiles. He gives his smile to you. And that is actually what Christ did on the cross. And what's all that, that the blood was all about? The sacrifice of himself, which is that atonement. And you just take that word apart. Atonement, it's at one meant. So I and God are separated because I am a sinner. I am a proud person. So I am separated from God. And Jesus' cross and that blood that he shed on the cross pays for that sin that separates me and now I am at one with God. That is the atonement. And that is grace. That is divine grace that is given to me that I cannot in any way, shape, or form attain to. And as a result of that favorable attitude, God is supposed to give me gifts and power and victory and strength. Because he is, he's one of giving grace. And the best illustration that I could think of is of Queen Esther. When she came to uh, the king unannounced. And the king held out his scepter. That was, she, that was that she was accepted in his sight. And then, then he gave her more. He said, whatever do you want? Up to half of my kingdom. So you had the king offering her grace of acceptance and audience and then him offering her what she wants. That is grace in both the, um, in the God's himself and God's gifts. So God, for the humble, God holds out his scepter and he doesn't resist us for the humble. And not only does he grant you his presence, he grants you, he lavishes us with his gifts. And there, what are the gifts of God? What are forgiveness of sin? There is peace and there's joy and there's hope and there's mercy and there's endurance. There's a lot of the gifts of God that you and I are experiencing and maybe we actually take them for granted. I had a story, I had something uh, revealed, I mean, just came fresh to me uh, about a week ago. I had a discussion with my safety manager at work, and we have a discussion about some current vaccinations, <laughs> which um, we all know about. And we talked about a lot of things, but one of the things we talked about is is I mentioned about this 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 pandemic, this virus, it's real, and it it you know it's it's deadly it is but i had never felt panicky about it i never felt like it's something that needs to completely uproot my life because of it and i actually don't know i i don't know quite what his whether he even goes to church uh i don't know where he's at as far as christianity i didn't talk had that conversation with him but he made this observation that was interesting. He said, well, he said, people who believe in an afterlife tend to be less fearful. 
But he said, if you don't believe in an afterlife and this is all you have, then this you got to protect that. Interesting, <laughs> that, that thought. But God gives us gifts and with that peace and joy and the hope and, and on all those things that we have as the grace, as God gives us grace. And he gives them to the humble. It's God's favor. It's his unmerited, his undeserved favor and God's gifts, his undeserved and unmerited gifts. That is the lot of the humble. And that's what Peter momentarily failed to experience by his pride. Now, a proud person doesn't necessarily need God because he can pull himself up by his own bootstraps. The old classic example. He has enough resources himself. He can do it. He can meet the needs of the day himself. Oh, you might not be happy um, if you could only get my way in a couple of things. If there be a little more, I need to manipulate a little bit more here. Maybe I can connive a little bit more here. But I'm close. If I do a couple of things and a couple of adjustments, then I got it together. And that's, that's a proud person. Just give me a little more time and I'll have it. A little more elbowing. But an humble person is bankrupt in the sense that he does not have the resources that he needs for the day. And he is aware of it. The humble person is looking at a resource outside of himself and is dependent on that resource. And a freedom from arrogance grows out of the recognition that all that we have and all that we are comes from God. And that very familiar verse that we have there in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 is one example. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So how is anyone saved? Well, it's by grace. Where does grace come from? It's from God. It's his gift. It's, it's, un, it's, it's unearned. To who does this grace come to? Well, in this context, it's faith, those who have faith. In Peter, where we read, were, read earlier in First in Peter, it was grace comes to the humble. Here, grace comes to those who have faith. But they are complementary attitudes. When you have faith in someone else, or you are humble, both of those you are actually depending or you are actually recognizing you're dependent on something else outside of yourself. Both of them, they're, compl- they're not exactly the same, but they're complementary. <clears throat> and the contrast here in Ephesians is your own works, whatever they may be. Uh, things you have done or the way you live your life or the way you treat others and you feel that's sufficient. Since you can always see other people who are worse than you uh, and God, God grades on the curve, so therefore with your own works, you, you, you're okay. 
but that's not the case. If, well, I, I think I need to use this illustration. I had a former employee that I talked to quite a bit. Not employee, empl- fellow employee. <laughs> and his motto of life is, I'm a nice person. I treat other people nicely if they treat me nicely. Um, I am an Basically, an upbuilding member of society. Society is better because of people like me. True, I had an accident while driving drunk. True, I am divorced and am remarried. True, I left my second wife for a little bit when she wouldn't comply to something I wanted her to do. But I am a good person. No, you are a proud person. This man has not humbled himself under the mighty hand of God, and he's resting on his own puny works, which he thinks are mighty. Maybe this is you. I'm okay. I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good. No, you're proud. And God will resist you. True humility is like a child, like Jesus brought that child in the middle. At tax time, I'm asked on my form how many dependents I have. The question is, how many people are depending on me for their food and their shelter and whatever else they need? They're dependent on me for my support. There are people living in my home who are not economically self-sufficient. They depend primarily on me for their food and their clothing and their shelter. And that is a picture of humility. And I think that the best explanation of Jesus getting a child in the middle and said, except you become like a little child, except you become dependent. If you become a dependent, That is what the kingdom of heaven is made of. And you had that in the contrast of those feuding disciples who wanted to be the greatest and didn't want to be dependent. They wanted to be in top and everyone else below them. Jesus said, no, it's the other way. An humble person is God's dependent. The humble heart recognizes, first of all, that all that I am and all that I have comes from God. And this is the first the scripture verse, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? This word glory is the same word as the same Greek word as the word boast in the read we read in Ephesians 2 9. Uh, we talked about boasting in your own works. If you glory in your own works, you boast in your own works. And God says, What do you have that you didn't get? And why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? 
In other words, recognizing who God is will humble us. Recognizing who we are will humble us. James says we're just a vapor. We're just appearing for a little while. We're like a flower that comes and then we're gone. I know you can put these beautiful flowers on um, WhatsApp status. <laughs> but the flower itself will soon fade away. And those celebrities that have all those glitz and glamour, those sports heroes and those people of the world, those government officials, those dictators, and whoever you want to put in there, they have their day and then they're gone. They won't be around. We're so little. We're so puny. But like peacocks, we have our day that we can strut. In ourselves, we have no value. If I photocopy a $100 bill and I give that photocopy to you, how much is it worth? It's scrap paper. But if it's that paper is backed by the U.S. government, it's worth a tank or two of gas. Big difference. In God's economy, we are worth the world. Yet pride is the attitude that I am. I can create my own worth. I can be my, my own piece of paper on my own two feet. And I don't really need the U.S. Treasury to back me up. I'm not dependent on anybody. I can just have. I can just be my piece of paper. I'm not connected to anyone, and you're worthless. I pity the poor atheist who is trying to get human dignity and worth out of a naturalist worldview because it's not there. In, in that worldview, in the naturalist worldview, we're just a piece of paper. And then you try to put value on people, but it, there's nothing to back it up. We're just evolved animals. So out, only out of a proper view of God, and in the same thing, contract, a proper view of oneself, can we properly relate to other people. If we properly view God, properly view ourselves, then we can properly relate to other people. Now I'd like to finish the rest of the message by contrasting three different heart realities. It's been said that pride is only is the only disease that makes everyone else sick but the people who have it. That's only true of overt pride, where someone is overtly ostentatious that makes other people sick. Pride is much more camouflaged, camouflaged than that. And if pride is camouflaged, and it's in our very whoop, and warp of our character, and it's threaded through, and it has those distinct lines that you can see it, and, but maybe you can't see it always. It, if, you, if you are proud, and if God resists the proud, and you, if you have pride, would you want to know it? <laughs> That's the question. Would you like to know it? 
know where I am proud and identify it so I can repent and turn away from it and live a life of grace. Because pride is like a cat with nine lives, except it's a cat with a thousand lives. Because you come around the corner and there it is again. So, pride. Three, we're going to have three definitions here. Pride, this is the opposite of humility, is the classic conceited thoughts and behaviors. And then there is the second one, which is false humility. And this is a counterfeit humility that is different than pride in that it has some characteristics that look like humility. But beneath is the same self-preserving and self-focus that pride has. And then there is true humility. This is a hard attitude that is able to express itself in humility because it is rooted securely in the security of a child of God. I am not dependent on honor from you. God is providing for my needs. So distinguishing true humility from its two extremes, false humility and pride. So I'm going to I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven points here. And I'm going to put the pride first, then the false humility, and then true humility of each point. Pride is self-conceited, thinking too highly of oneself. In exaggerated, uh, by the way, you don't have to write this down. If you want to, I can actually get you copies of this. I, I was going to actually bring copies along and I didn't get it done, but... They're pretty long, but I can get you copies of this if you don't want to write them all down. Self-conceited, thinking too highly of oneself, an exaggerated opinion or an exalted view of oneself. Your opinion of yourself is higher than both others and God's opinion of you. That's pride. False humility is self-defeating mindset. And poor self-image, evaluating oneself too negatively, such as, I'm a failure, I'm worthless, I can't do anything right, no one likes me. Both of these are pride. True humility is self-forgetfulness, selflessness, not self-centered, not fearful about what others think of you or preoccupied with self-concerns. Point number two, pride is vanity and vainglory, excessive display and boasting in one's appearance, qualities, abilities, and achievements. This is boasting. This is the classic example of pride, the kind that make others sick. False humility, a tendency to be self-despising or to belittle oneself, to be self-depreciating around others, excessively modest due to feeling inferior, useless, or unworthy. And I want to thank a special person in this congregation who points that out in me at times as an example of pride. True humility is a balanced view of self and good understanding of personal strengths and weaknesses 
and one's role and position in the wider community and society. So that would be a balanced self, a balanced view. You're not looking up, you're not way down. It's a balanced view. Understanding your personal strengths and weaknesses and your role. Number three, pride. Self-centered, self-seeking, and selfish. Concerned chiefly or only with yourself and your advantage to the exclusion of others. False humility is preoccupied with anxious concern for oneself, can't focus on others. True humility is self-giving and self-sacrificing for the sake of others in order to help, encourage, serve, and care for others. Number four, pride. Selfish ambition and a drive to get ahead of others at their expense. False humility. People pleaser does whatever others want regardless of what is the prudent or right thing to do. True humility is lowly of heart, treating everyone with respect and care and concern, regardless of their status, position, or worthiness, and not playing favorites. Number five, pride, domineering and overbearing, too demanding, too opinionated, too outspoken, too assertive. False humility is timid or insecure, lacking in self-assurance, afraid to take initiative, afraid to speak up or be assertive when needed. True humility is other-focused, mindful of others' interests and concerns, and ready to put aside personal preference to serve others. Number six, pride. Treats others as inferiors or unworthy of your care and concern. False humility, overly dependent on what others think. Lacks prudence to think and judge rightly because you think so much of what others think. True humility is servant-hearted, ready to serve others wholly for their good without seeking personal gain. Pride, number seven, unteachable, refuses correction, resists feedback. False humility is fearful of correction and feedback because of low worth, low self-worth, or low or poor self-image. True humility is teachable. Receptive to receiving correction, training, and feedback. <clears throat> John 5.44 says, How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Ultimately, it is what God thinks that counts not people. And I know that we have to be careful. We want to be tactful. We want to be considerate and all those things. But it's funny what God thinks is what counts. God uses people in our lives. And so what God thinks comes through people. We're not an island. But we're not here to bring glory. But we are here to bring glory to God, not to ourselves. We are here to please God not other people. Andrew Murray said, the humble man feels no jealousy or envy. 
He can praise God when others are preferred and blessed before him. He can bear to hear others praise while he is forgotten because he has received the spirit of Jesus who pleased not himself and who sought not his own honor. Therefore, in putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, he has put on the heart of compassion, kindness, meekness, long-suffering, and humility. They that know God will be humble, John Flavel said, and they that know themselves cannot be proud. So my challenge, I guess, this morning is, if I am proud, I want to know it. And the fact is, there's plenty enough to go around. <laughs> if you want this this list, um, just let me know, and I can probably either email it to you or get it printed out to you. But if you would, if you mind it with me, and you can, let's kneel for prayer for our God. It's Lord, as we bow before you, you are our God. Lord, we do come in thanksgiving to you. Thank you, Lord, that you have so clearly, you have so clearly um, provided for the needs that we as human beings, as fallen human beings have, that you have provided for every aspect of the needs that we have and that there is nothing lacking in your provision. Lord, as we look at this subject this morning, we just want to say, Lord, help us, help me to search my own heart in the area of this of pride, whether it is pride directly or whether it's a false humility. And Lord, find fully and completely my security in you. And you pray for each one of us here, Lord. We are all made of the same cloth. Lord, we're, we have not fallen far away from the tree, and we all face this. And it's in different areas. For some, it's for this. For some, it's that. But, Lord, we do pray, as your people, may we bring glory to you and not to ourselves. May we not be resisted by you, none of us here, but, Lord, that may each one of us be full of your grace. We do pray for that, Lord. So we pray for your supernatural strength and spirit in our lives to, to guide us. And Lord, we do thank you for others who speak into our lives and point things out to us that we may not see or we may have failed in. And I just pray, Lord, you would use that amongst us as well, that, that each one of us may be humble enough to approach someone else secure enough in you to speak to someone else about something in their lives and vice versa, that we would be able to hear, receive feedback and correction and, and Lord, uh, that we, Lord, would grow up to be that body at the full stature of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for revealing your word and your will to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank <clears throat> you.